You're listening to a sermon from St. John's Anglican in Cranbourne. To find out more about us, head to cranbourneanglican.org.au. I wonder if you've ever had the task of telling someone a story that they've already heard over and over again. Well, that is the odd task of a preacher on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day for that matter, regardless or whether you're a regular attender at church, whether you come a couple of times a year, or as my dearly beloved grandfather once told me, you worry that you might burn up on entry if you ever came into a church. Every person knows about the Christmas story. Every person knows about the baby born in a manger down in Bethlehem. Or do we? You see, when it comes to the Christmas story, we make a lot of assumptions. We assume that Mary rode on a donkey to Bethlehem, except the text is silent. We assume that there was an innkeeper, and yet the Bible doesn't say any such thing. We assume that there were at least three wise men, and yet the Bible never tells us their number, just that there were three gifts. Now we extrapolate from that, three gifts, three people to give the gifts, but it never says that. We assume that Jesus was born in a stable among the animals, and yet the Bible never says any such thing. It simply says that he was born in a manger, and a manger could have been anywhere. We assume a lot. Now, there's no great problem with assuming any of those things. They don't change the intent of the Christmas story, the declaration that Jesus Christ, God's Son, the Messiah, has come. But that's what assumptions do. They fill in the gaps in the story, they fill in the grey areas, they fill in the questions that we have. And whilst the questions and the assumptions we make about the Christmas story are fairly harmless, we bring other assumptions with us here tonight. We bring assumptions about God. We bring assumptions about our relationship with Him. We come this evening wondering whether other people have something that we can't have. Not just don't have, but can't have. We worry or wonder or assume that if God loves those who follow the rules, what happens to those like us who break the rules, who fall short? We assume that if God really knew us, he wouldn't want to be with us. We assume that God is kind of like a distant, angry father, and too many of us have enough of our own distant, angry fathers to deal with that. We assume that our lack of excitement means that the story is not true. We assume that God doesn't like us, that God doesn't hear us, that God doesn't want to be with us. And you know what an assumption is? Assumption is something that we believe without proof. It's something that we've grabbed onto as the truth without actually putting it under the microscope. And the antidote to assuming, the antidote to assumption is allowing ourselves to be surprised afresh. And friends, let me tell you, the Christmas story is surprising. The Christmas story is shocking. There are so many different elements that if you take a look at them afresh, they are so surprising. Take the people involved, Mary and Joseph. We have the next slide, Julie. This has just decided to die, so that's okay. 
The birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way when his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. This is a surprising part of the story. Now we gravitate onto the fact that she was found to be child with from the Holy Spirit, but I'm also surprised at who God chose. If we were God, we might choose the powerful, the famous, the rich, the influential, the creative. God chose two almost nobodies from Nowheresville. Yes, Mary and David, Mary and Joseph came from a famous line of people, but surely God could have chosen someone else to share his message. <coughs> but no, he chose Mary. And Joseph, two nobodies. And you think about God, the creator, God, the majestic, God, the mighty, God, the all-powerful, who created everything that ever was or will be. What the story declares is that he chooses to enter as a baby. Next slide, Julie. When he had resolved to this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. To take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. This is God's choice to be born this way. Babies are vulnerable. This week, my brother and his wife celebrated the birth of their first child, little Ezra. And as a reminder afresh of how vulnerable children are, they can do nothing. They cannot take care of themselves. They cannot fight for themselves. They can do nothing. And yet this is the way that God chooses to enter. This is surprising. And yet you know what stood out to me the most this week? As I read over the story again, as I placed it under the microscope, is the names that Jesus is given. In fact, in Matthew, he's given two separate names. It's the only gospel account where he's given two names. The first, Jesus, we know, and we'll swivel back around to that in a second, but the second stands out. We can go to the next one, Julie. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. God is with us. I don't know if you know this at the moment, but we are in the midst of what some sociologists are calling a loneliness epidemic. That despite all the connection, despite all the avenues we have to talk with each other, message each other, see each other, what most people experience on a day to day basis is loneliness. Britain has in the last five years brought in a minister of loneliness at a federal position to tackle how lonely people are. And in the most recent survey, 33% of people surveyed said that they felt debilitatingly lonely in the past year. That's a full third of us. And you know what stood out to me is that in that survey, that number dramatically increases if you're under 30 if you're a mum staying at home with kids or if you're over 60, which to me says that the only people not being honest about how lonely they feel is men aged 31 to 59. Everybody feels lonely. 
And if we feel lonely in our human relationships, I can't help but feel that most of us feel lonely in our relationship with God. And if not lonely, then at least distant. That he might not hear us, that he might not like us, that he might not want to be with us. And yet what the Christmas story declares is that God doesn't just want to be with us, that's his name. God with us. That's who he is. That's what he is like. If you want to know what God is like, look at the Christmas story to be reminded that Jesus Christ enters as Emmanuel, God with us. Charles Spurgeon, an 18th century Baptist, wrote these lines when he was moved by reading these words. He said, put me in the desert where vegetation grows not. I can still say, God with us. Put me on the wild ocean. Let my ship dance madly on the waves. I would still say, Emmanuel, God with us. Mount me on the sunbeam and let me fly beyond the western sea. Still I would say, God with us us let my body dive down into the depths of the ocean and let me hide in its cavern still i could as a child of god say god with us and in the grave sleeping there in corruption still i can see the footmarks of jesus he trod the path of all his people and still his name is god with us there is not a place in this world where God's children can go and be separated from him. He is God with us. That's his nature. And you might very well say this evening, well, you don't know what I feel. And that's true, I don't. But God does. And you might very well come here this evening and say, you don't know my story, and that's true. But God does. And you might very well come here this evening and say, you don't know what I have done, and that very well is true. But God does. That's why I think one of the most beautiful aspects of this account of Jesus' birth is that he is given two names. You see, the second name he's given is Emmanuel, God with us. But the first, if we go to the next slide or this slide, you want to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. It's a bit, actually a bit of a word play because Jesus, the name, actually means God saves. And so what Matthew is writing is, you want to name him God saves, for he will save his people from their sins. In case you didn't, didn't pick it up, Jesus will save God saves the people from our sins. This week, I've been taking my kids a whole bunch of different places. It's Christmas, it's a busy week, we've had a lot of things on, and the question that has been given to them more than any other this week is something along these lines, have you boys been good? Have you been good boys for mum and dad? And to be honest with you, sometimes I just want to say, not really. Kind of. They're okay. (laughs) They're kids. They're trying. But it's interesting, isn't it? I wonder what I would say if the question was asked of me. Have I been good this year? Because I think I know the answer. That it's probably something similar. Not really. Kind of. A little bit. Maybe trying. I know that if 
I was judged based on Santa's system, I'd probably get some lumps of coal this year. Which is one reason I'm very glad that I trust in Jesus and not Santa. Because Jesus knows the real us. Not the fake us. Not the Instagram us. Not the us that we show all the other people. Not the us whose story we concoct to make ourselves look as good as possible. He knows us for who we actually are. And that's a scary thought. To think that the God of all creation knows who you actually are. And yet the God of all creation entered this world to save us from our sin, not to judge us, but to save us. We often have this assumption in our minds that we need to clean our lives up, we need to clean ourselves up, that we need to do the right thing enough times before we can actually come to God. And God is saying, no, it's not either or, it's both and. I have come to save you and I have come to be with you both at the same time. Don't feel like you need to clean up your life to come to me. Just come. I love you. I sent my son to die for you. Come be with me. You see, the problem with assumptions is that they're just sometimes not true. And this is one assumption that is not true. God came to save us. It's his name. God came to be with us. It's his name. And so my invitation to you this evening is to lay down your assumptions, maybe for the first time, maybe for the 500th time, and to actually sit with God, to put him under the microscope and get to know him for who he is to hear his voice, to open up his word, to put your relationship with him under the microscope. Am I listening to you, Lord? Am I walking closely with you, Lord? Am I drawing near to you, God? Or do I feel like I need to clean myself up before I can come to you? Well, Jesus would say no. He would say, friend, I've come to save you. I've come to die for you. And I've come to be with you. So come and be with your Lord. Come and be with God. He is Jesus, God saves. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Let me pray for us now.